The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. It's been a, a sweet week uh, as I've got to dive into Romans, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 1 today. So if you weren't here last week, we started our new series off on the book of Romans. So there's Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. If you would like to grab one of those, uh, if you need a Bible or know somebody who needs a Bible, feel free to take that Bible home with you as a gift for you to give away to them. Uh, we love God's Word, and um, we will keep replacing them as they, as they leave the sanctuary. Last week, we looked at the first six verses uh, where we introduced the writer, we introduced the, where the authority is coming from for the writer and his topic. So the writer is the Apostle Paul. He, he presents himself as a, a servant of Jesus, and he's, he's sent my God to the nations, so the nations will know this Jesus that came to him. And it's going to be mostly to the Gentiles to, to share this good news that faith can change your life. And we're going to be learning about how the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And that's kind of our theme for this series, that it's um, a powerful message that's not just for some, something somebody can know, but it's something that will um, literally change your life. So let's pray as we begin. Father, we come to you. Our desire is that you would show that power to us daily. And as Ms. Deb mentioned, the, the mercies that we get to wake up with, the righteousness of Christ that we get to be clothed with, should empower us to live differently each day, to know that we rest in you, God, and the work that you have already done through sending Jesus Christ on our behalf Father, I pray right now as we study your word that we will grow closer to you, uh, beginning in our minds and move to our hearts and then move to our feet. It's in your name. Amen. All right, so Romans 1, 7 is where we are at. Romans 1, 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints... Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all of the world. Let me read that again. Romans 1, 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Point number one today. He is praising God for calling them. These points there are specific to the parts of Romans that we're studying. So Paul, he's praising God for a God who chooses to call people out of darkness into light as we sing today. So point number one, he's praising God for calling them. You see over and over again in this passage, these references to God and Jesus, and then God and then Jesus, the Christ. 
And he's specifically writing to a church, this church that's founded in a city, the city of Rome. We know this city day. It still exists. People still go to the city and visit this city from all over the world. And inside this city, there's a church, uh, the Roman church. And you probably cannot walk down an, a street in Rome or, or ride your chariot down a highway where there would be a, a kiosk sign that says, the Roman church services 10.30 a.m., bring a friend. Like, that's not happening. Like, we have to picture 2,000 years ago when he says, I'm writing to the church in Rome, who he's actually writing to. So let's paint a picture of what's going on. Well, first of all, this is the first century. This is the, the beginning of the church. This is the world's capital city. And we need to project our minds back, you know, a couple thousand years to kind of get in the recipient's shoes. This is a time when Roman culture and power and influence have spread all over uh, the, the Mediterranean, that part of the world around Europe and the Middle East. And even we know Rome was pretty powerful because we know Jesus Christ, who's all the way in Jerusalem, he was killed by the hands of Romans. So the Romans are powerful. And then who are the people? Well, it's, it's probably a, a Jewish converts to begin with. It's the Jewish population that may have heard of the Messiah coming and has, has accepted uh, Jesus as their Jewish Messiah. Sometimes it's hard for us to think about what a a Christian Jew is, well, actually, a Christian Jew is just a Jew that believes the Bible, right? It's somebody who trusts the Bible is true, and then Jesus is the Messiah, and the person is still Jewish. They just believe the Messiah has already come. And these are the Jewish converts here in the church. And in Acts 2, we actually learn of maybe how these Jewish converts came to faith in Christ, um, Peter was preaching a sermon where uh, there were thousands present, and this is the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes down upon the followers of Jesus, and Peter preaches in his language, but yet many heard in their own. And in this miracle, the gospel message was heard in the tongue, but the hearts were opened and trust. I'm going to read this, Acts 2.8. This is what the people ask. And how is it that we hear, each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and what's that? Visitors from Rome. So, specifically, as you consider how their church started was, it probably was started from the beginning. From these thousands that were baptized, some of those went back to Rome and began living out their faith, hearing about the ways of Jesus and trying to live out the commands and as 3,000 were baptized that day, they took that symbol of baptism and the message to Rome. 
And in Rome, we know there's also non-Jewish people that were a part of the church. We learn about that as we're going to read through Romans. And instead of saying non-Jewish people over and over again in the Bible, there's a word for it. It's called Gentile. And the word Gentile gets complicated because there's a lot of words, especially in our native tongue and being Americans, there's a lot of words in the Bible that sound kind of like Gentile. You almost can think like the Galatians, right? Or the Amalekites and the Gentiles and the, you know, you start thinking it's like a people group. But when you think of Gentiles as a people group, you start to think, well, where are they from? Are they, are they from Gentile land? You know, it's like, where, where, where are the Gentiles? Where, where are those people exist? So, and it's kind of hard. And even as I read, sometimes I'm reading all these different names and it's, you know, the Bible and it gets complicated. And it's lots of things to remember. But one of the things that helps me remember the word Gentile is it's like the word civilian, right? Most of us in the room are, we're civilians. I mean, I don't know if we have anybody that's in the military in the room right now. Um, if you are, thank you for serving, right? My, I'm, I'm a Navy. I'm a Navy kid. My dad was in the military my whole life. So, um, so thank you for serving. But I've, I've never been in the military. I'm a civilian. And um, it's a large number of people, right? It's a, that's like most people are civilians. Or you might think of um, if you're playing a sport and say you're on the golf course and there's a pro there, Right? So there's the pro. But what's everybody else called? Amateurs. That's a pretty big group of people. It just means like non-pro, which is me, right? Which is most, I think, we're all non-pros in golf, I think. If you're not, I would love to hang out. Like, that would be cool if that's what you do for a living, right? But then you think of the word American. And you're like, okay, so you're hanging out with somebody and they're not an American. What do we call them? Yeah, maybe an alien, a foreigner, right? A, a somebody on vacation. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like, there's, we say non-American, right? That's what you probably would say in a, if you were writing a paper, a non-American. So instead of the Bible saying non-Jew over and over and over again in the book of Romans, we're going to read the word Gentile a lot. And I know a lot of you guys probably already knew that, but maybe for you it was kind of hard to explain that to people, and maybe my little rambling maybe helps you gather some healthy information if you need to explain that to somebody. Gentiles are most everybody except the Jews. Okay, So that's who Paul is writing to, some Jews and some Gentiles, which would be all human beings, right? You're either one or the other. So the founders, as I described earlier, there's no specific founder named. You could probably say the people that got baptized in Acts 2 were probably somehow the founders, but because they didn't write a book of the Bible like, say, Peter or Paul, those sort of elements, we don't really have that name. We don't have that person. I think one day in eternity, we'll get to hear these stories of how these initial churches got started in the scriptures. Um, but there's no specific founder that we know of um, from... Um, from the scriptures. And then who is he writing to? If it's not this kind of big, large temple that has a sign that says services 1030 on Sundays, if that's not what their church was like, what was it like? Well, it was actually house churches. 
most of the world in this time has is, is not been established in a sense of there's a building they could purchase, that they gather together, they all work on and paint. Thank you for all you guys who do that kind of stuff. Like, there's not that sort of community center type feel. But it is like, literally in churches, they would have studies about the Bible. Somebody would bring a word. Somebody would pray. There would be meals. Often, there would be meals because they're people. And that's what we do when we're at our houses. We're like, okay, it's been an hour. Where are the snacks, right? Like, that's, that's the rhythm of life of the, of the first church. And we're going to see that symbology as we read the book of Romans. So since I've already mentioned there's Jews and Gentiles, I want to speak to something else. It's a very diverse congregation. It was likely not just a mix of Jews and non-Jews, but there were people that were slaves in this church. There were people that were free in this church. There were people in this church that were poor. There were people who are rich. And the diversity would have added to the richness of the conversation, but it would also add to some complexity, if you can imagine. And we're going to read about some of those complexities as multiple types of people choose to gather together for one purpose. And my hope is, is as we read this, we're going to see this theme of adoption. We're going to see this theme that even though we're all kind of different, especially when we leave the house and we go to our jobs or we go to our different cultural places inside our community in maybe very different neighborhoods, we need to recognize that we have something in common. And it's, we were all once orphans, but now we've all been adopted under God. And as we consider that, we're going to see that this interconnected relationship, this communal uh, expectation that as Paul's writing to them, he will begin to use that to show them the strength that, that when this community is together in unity and love and in care, that community is now, even though it's unified, it's the most different thing in all of Rome. Because in Roman society, you would have the haves and the have-nots. You'd have the slaves and the free. You would have the intellectuals and the non-intellectuals, all divided, all segregated. But something new began to happen where it didn't matter what the world says about you, but it mattered what God said about you. And then you could be in this community together. And we're going to hear and read about this theme over and over again in the book of Romans. And what I love to see about this is that Paul is praising God for calling them as well. So as Paul begins to picture who he's writing to, and he begins to, to actually list off needs that they have. And he's not specifically writing to one specific great thing where they, they, they had mistakes. He's actually just saying, hey guys, look who we are. We are sons and daughters of the king. And that's his message over and over again. And that's powerful. That brings salvation to a city. And my hope for you as we read this, that you would get excited about new things happening, that you'd be excited about salvations happening. You'd be excited about maybe in your own life where God shows up and changes and adopts you into his kingdom. There is one God. He is at work and we praise him. For one example that's happening in our community, I have a picture here. 
The Way Church KC had their first Friday night meeting this Friday. It was awesome. The, the front of the tree, yeah, it's good. Give them, yeah, it was good. So Zach and Chelsea and Evan and their leadership team have been growing this congregation from a very small handful to, there's probably almost 40 people up here at church on Friday night. Seeing a new church begin in our city. And the joy of that new life and to say, God, look what you're doing. Praise you. Thank you for letting me know about this. Thank you for continuing to call more and more people from all different walks of life into your kingdom. So as we review first point, he's praising God for calling them. I have a question for each one of these today. How are you praising God for what he is doing around you? And I think that's when, when you read a couple of verses in the Bible, sometimes when you're trying to, to consider how am I like Paul? How am I unlike Paul? What am I missing in my Christian walk? And I think for me, as I was studying this today, I was like, am I celebrating enough of what God's doing around me? Am I looking to see what God is doing around me? And that gratefulness and excitement, and they're like, God, you're doing things. The power of God is still at work. So my question for us as a church today is, how are you doing with that? Like, just think right now for a second. Where are you praising God for doing something in your life? Is it forgiveness? Is it restoration of a relationship? Is it healing? Is it salvation? I want to invite you back next week we have five baptisms next week. Amen? Five baptisms. So what does that mean? That means at least five people have come to faith in Christ here recently, and they want to display that to the church. Over the last year, God's been doing some cool stuff, and we want to celebrate that together. And I want you to know that these stories, many of them are collective love as people have seen the love of this church. And my hope is, is that you would see when people get baptized and they're part of this community, you're like, God, thanks for letting me be a part of that. Even if I just mopped the floors before it came or maybe I just gave a high five to that person or maybe you did take them out to lunch and listen to their story. But that we see these are shared victories of what God is doing. He is still calling more and more people into his family. But let's continue reading as we move to point two. Romans 1, 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. So point number two today, he is praying to God for them. We began today talking about just this praising of God for God working. Now we move to He's praying to God for them. He writes that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Paul seems very excited as you read these first couple dozen verses about talking to them. He doesn't get to pick up his phone and chat back and forth. So when you write a letter, sometimes it's like, there's this excitement that comes up in the words. It's his, it's his way of, they're going to actually read this, and I want to let them know that 
I'm passionately excited about coming to them, that God's been doing a work there, and I've been praying for you, and in a second we're going to read about him going to see them, and there's this excitement. But why is he so excited? Like, he lives far away from Rome. He's not taking flights there every other month to see these churches. He hasn't been there yet to see them. But what has Paul been doing? He's been praying for them. The church in Rome has been in his prayers. So as I begin to think about that, there's a, there, we, Rivers and I used to live off Knoll. And uh, at our house there, we were starting our family. And next door to us, there was another young couple. Uh, they, they didn't follow Christ at the time. And, um, you know, it's just, you know, like the, the, the small chain link fence, the backyard conversations. When you're outside, they're outside. We'd, we'd both see each other and we'd walk to the fence and just kind of hold the fence and just talk. That was the level of neighboring and relationship that we had. Um, but it was, it was very regular. Like if we was outside and I was outside, we'd almost always, you know, two young guys in their 20s just come and talk and what's going on in life and jobs. And after about a year or so, he said... Uh, hey, Dave, can I tell you something? And you're like, all right, this is somewhere. We're going somewhere here. He said, he said, my wife and I, we've been trying to have a baby for two years. It's been kind of hard. And I'm like, we just went from talking about grass to that. So it's like, okay, yeah. And when you, when you hear that, and, and ladies, you probably have lots of words to say. Guys, we sometimes go like, I should say something right now. There's something I need to say right now. And this, and this is what I said. This is what I said. This is what I said. I said, hey, do you mind if I pray for you guys about this? That's just, that's kind of all I had. That's kind of all I had. And uh, he was like, like most people who don't follow, you know, he's not churched at all. He's like, sure, I, I guess. You know, that sort of deal. I said, okay. So I, I just said, thanks, thanks for telling me that. That was, that was, um, that was important. That was important for me to know about you. So, Life goes on um, for him, and uh, I tell Rivers about this situation, this, this conversation, and, and when we lay in bed at night and we say some prayers, we'd pray for our neighbors and that God would give them a baby, and, you know, months goes by. You know, you have these kind of conversations with people, and, you know, I'm not every time I go to the fence going, are you pregnant yet? You pregnant yet? You know, like, <laughs> like, like, dudes don't do that, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, we're just, I'm just doing my own thing. He's doing my own thing. We're praying sometimes, you know, for them, you know, um, and then I'd borrowed a tool from him, you know, months later, and I go back to his door just, just to give them the tool back. And when he opens the door and sees me, because I'm normally the back door friend, I don't go to his front door very much, um, he looks at me and his eyes just get, just glassed over. And he says, Dave, your prayers worked. We're pregnant. And I'm just like, oh, right. I have no idea what happened to the tool, right? So, but I gave him a hug. And I said, that's so exciting. I went back and got to tell Riv this, uh, just the story of, you know, somebody saying they've been hoping for something and didn't know how to hope for it. And, and uh, uh, somebody who mentioned prayer and um, they literally were in our prayers. This family was in our prayers and God showed up. And I don't know what level of faith he has today, but that day he attributed his baby to God. And God was worshiped that day. 
And I share this story with you, um, not because everybody I pray for um, gets, you know, gets, their, gets their prayers answered by any means, but I, I got to tell you this. There has been babies, when I come, and some of you in the room, I hold your baby in, a, in the hospital. And I'm like, this is the guy I prayed for. And, and you can live a life where you never pray for things and just hold babies. Or you can pray for your friends who want to have children. And when you hold them, it's different. Because you know it's God, he showed up in that relationship. And they don't, we don't make a big deal about these things. But between me and the Lord, people, you guys, you're in my prayers. And when God shows up, my faith increases. My faith increases. And I think there's a joy of being a part of each other's lives that Paul is showing us here. He's like, I haven't been with you, but I've been with you. You know, it's like I've been, you've been on my mind. You've been in my prayers and there's so much we miss in this life as a follower of Jesus when we're not connecting ourselves through prayer. So my hope is, even as we consider this point, uh, that he's praying to God for them, that you would just maybe think about this. Maybe if you're taking notes or talk to somebody tonight, maybe if you have a spouse or a friend, like just say, one of those questions that Pastor Dave said was, Who's in your prayers? And you have a conversation about that. I hope that each one of us, if you're a member of this church, that when I say who is in your prayers, you either have somebody in your prayers or by the end of the night, you'll have somebody in your prayers. And if you're like, I don't know of any needs, please call me. I will give you some people to pray for. We have a community here that is very open about needs. And I'll say, why don't you give this person a call? Why don't you take them out to lunch? They could use some prayer. I'll let you talk to them. But my desire would be that connectivity that prayer does, where God does these miraculous things on a spiritual realm that's so beyond what we can do. But then at times we see this experiential answering, these miracles. Let's continue reading as we finish up this morning. Romans 1, 10. Always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Point number three today. He has a passion to go to them. Point number three. He has a passion to go to them. Before we get into this, you may not know the full story about Paul wanting to go to Rome, but he actually does finally get to go to Rome. And it wasn't his friend bought him a, a ticket. That was not how it happened. He got arrested. He got arrested. And guess where he was going to be tried? In Rome. So he went to Rome in handcuffs. 
So God made a way for Paul to go to Rome on God's timing. So we know that does happen, but it wasn't the way Paul probably thought. So why in the world does he have this passion to go to him? And I think the, the easiest part about the Bible, when Paul systematically actually writes things down, and you ask a question like this, why are you long? He literally spends the next five verses telling us five reasons why he wants to go have, go spend time with him and long to be with him. So real quickly, in 11, he says that I may impart some spiritual gift. In 12, that we may be mutually encouraged. 13, that I may reap a harvest among you. 14, I'm under obligation to go. 15, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you guys in Rome. So the first one, verse 11, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Paul wants to go to Rome and be with them personally because he wants to strengthen them. He's been praying for them. He's been praising God for them, but he wants to go and impart to them some spiritual strength. And you might think, well, why does the church in Rome need some strength? Well, we're just going to say the church in Rome was quite a pagan, non-Christian environment where there's idol worship, there's Roman gods, there's philosophies that by far would go higher than anybody would care about religion at times, and namely the literal government thought they were a god. So you have the most powerful country in the world that's taking over the world as slow, slowly as, as, as much as they can. The leader is a god, considers himself to be a god, and you start this monotheistic religion, one house at a time, in the city. And you know nobody who's a Christian, except for maybe the handful of people you might meet with in that house. We're going to say they needed strength. And as I pause for a second, and we say the title is The Power of God for Salvation, I want to speak to maybe what I just said to you, you might be in a place in your life where nobody that you spend time with throughout the week is a Christian except for this community. I'm glad you come here. I'm glad you're a part of this. You're probably picturing my staff versus your staff. My staff, as I know, they're all Christians, right? It's like we're in different worlds. But some of you work in a world where there's nobody that you have to spend a lot of hours with that are following Jesus. And you're like, I need Paul to come and strengthen me. And then I just want to say to you, stick with us through Romans. That's what he is doing in Romans. He's like, I want to strengthen you. I want to impart to you. And I'm going to give you this long, multi, just multi-dimensional letter that's going to hold, hold you up until I get there. But that's Paul's desire that they would be, there would be strength. And I want to say that's what God's word does. It is a pillar for us to stand on. Secondly, a reason Paul has a passion to go to them is verse 12, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And as I read that, I think of the iron sharpening iron so one man sharpens another. Paul knows that Christians need each other. The word church is a plural word. Jesus asked multiple people to follow him. God exists in a trinity. We're all on the same team. 
We were all orphans. We all had been saved out of darkness into the marvelous light. We need each other. We need community. And Paul knows that. He's not coming for a top-down seminar. What Paul's doing is saying, God is the top-down and we are all the down. Does that make sense? Like, that's the top-down of the Christian faith. Lastly, the last three verses, as you heard, as I read, it's about Paul's obligation to preach the good news, to reach more and more people with the gospel, that there's a harvest, that there's growth, that it's not only just one harvest, but like the seeds will multiply and they'll be hundredfold. This is what his life is dedicated to do. Jesus Christ says you should go to the Gentiles. Share of the need of salvation. Share of the way of salvation. Share of the joy of being a part of the salvation of others. And this is the book of Romans that we are diving into. We read about his passion, his longing to go. And as I, as I was reading even this, this section with, with Josh, I was thinking, where am I longing? Like, where, where's my... Where's my this level of passion for the things of God? What areas, what places, what person? And as I was processing that, I'm still processing that, where my passion is, I just want to to lay it before you as well. Where are you longing to go for God? Who are you longing to go to for God? How can we do this? How can we take those steps? And I just want to use the points from today to guide us. So number one, in review, this is what I hope for all of us. That you would hope in the power of God for salvation for those people that came to your mind. Those places, those environments that have come to your mind. That God has the power to save. It may seem like those people don't care at all about God. Now... That doesn't mean tomorrow or the next day as you pray for them and care for them. And that moves us to the second one. That you should pray for the lost before you go to the lost. You should talk to God about others before you talk to others about God. And that's my hope. My hope for us as a church that we recognize the pattern and the expectation that we rely and are dependent on God. It's his power and his salvation and the power of prayer. And thirdly, we need to move our feet. Sometimes we have to go somewhere. We can't stay where we are. What does that mean? Well, maybe it's sitting somewhere differently in a break room, or maybe it's walking across the street, or maybe it's going to that PTA meeting coming up that you're like, oh, the PTA meeting. You know, whatever it is for you, maybe it's it's you taking steps to be somewhere with new people And you can love and care for them and pray for them and hope for them. We have these books out in the out in the lobby. It's bless rhythms. It's it's kind of one of the best ways that we've found to be evangelistic in your life, to share Jesus with your life. And it's this the word bless is an acronym that has to do with with praying for people and like listening and like having meals with people and serving one another and sharing your story. So my hope is that you could even consider with this third point that where is God asking you to go bless? And maybe it's just one person this morning. But we're about to jump into this letter about a 
an evangelist that's changed the world. And he's going to remind us each week who should be sitting next to you in this seat on a Sunday morning because you loved them so much. They at least visited your church once. That's a good first step, I think. That's a good first step. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for Paul, that you redirected his life, that you had the power to change a persecutor of the church to become a guy who writes things like this through the power of your Holy Spirit. And this morning, as we continue to remember that you have the power, salvation. And you ask us to pray, and you ask us to go. May we put on the shoes of readiness for the gospel that we bring peace where we walk. We ask this in your name. Amen.